All right, I want to draw your attention to verse 6 of Acts 23. It says, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confessed both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. And I love this story here because the way Paul just kind of uses the crowd, he sees Pharisees, he sees Sadducees, and he knows you get Pharisees and Sadducees together. All you have to do is bring up the resurrection of the dead and there's going to be a fight. And then they'll all be fighting with each other and they'll kind of be distracted from him. And so it ends up kind of getting him out of a temporarily out of a bad situation that he's in by just bringing up the resurrection, knowing that these guys are going to start fighting it. And what I want to, I'm going to start a series of messages right now. I'm calling it reviving old doctrinal disputes. All right. Now, I don't know if y'all notice this, but in the religious world, people like to fight with each other, don't they? Over doctrinal things. And that's been going on for a long time. You say, why would you revive old disputes? Well, because there's some valuable lessons that we can learn from these things. What we're going to do, we're going to look at doctrinal disputes that they were fighting back then in the Bible, that the, uh, many of them that the Apostle Paul wrote about. And it's important if we understand the fight that they were having back then, it helps us understand the context of those particular scriptures. Because one of the things that I'm seeing is when we're having our doctrinal disputes today, because we have our things that we fight about in this generation, a lot of times people are going back to passages that involved disputes back then, but because they don't realize what they were dealing with, they get the context of the passage all wrong and end up forming some really bad conclusions. And so we're going to see a lot of examples of that as we go through this. But today, what I want to talk about specifically is the resurrection. This was something that was hotly disputed back in those days. I mean, we see a fight break out to where they're about ready to rip Paul apart because he invokes the resurrection. And you got the Pharisees that believe in it, but you have the Sadducees that don't. And the Jews, you know, we often think of them as being united back then, but they weren't. You know, back during those days, you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, and then you also had, and the Bible talks about them a little bit, but you also had the Zealots. And they were kind of the ones that, they were the anti-government, you know, libertarian, you know, we hate the Romans, let's take over. You know, that was kind of their mentality. They always were wanting to fight. Where the Pharisees and Sadducees are like, you know, hey, we're kind of happy with how things are right now. And then when Christianity came along, for a while, it was almost like just in, in their minds, another sect of, you know, Judaism pretty much. Because all of them kind of made some claim to the temple and everything. And so there was a little bit of acceptance that you see to a certain extent in some areas because they kind of saw them that way. But then... Uh, but, you know, Christianity was never supposed to be like a sect of Judaism like that. And I think that's one of the reasons God had Jerusalem destroyed and that persecution come the way it did so the Christians would get out and spread out in the world like they were supposed to, which was God's plan. But that's another subject for another day. But, you know, some subjects will always get conflict stirred up. 
and the resurrection is one of those. In fact, about four years ago, now uh, I was having a conversation with a big name pastor. I, I won't I won't name him today, but he made a statement to me when we were discussing the rapture or or the resurrection. Same thing, okay? And we were discussing the timing of it, and we disagreed on the timing of it. And you know, and he made a really big deal about it. But one of the things he said to me is he says. This battle was already fought several years ago. And basically, he was saying, you know, pre-trib one. And several months later, I was talking to another preacher, and we were having a conversation on the subject of repentance. And he made the statement to me, that battle was already fought early in my ministry, and I determined back then the men that I was going to stand behind. And so, in both of those cases... You know, I didn't get to have a biblical discussion with those guys, you know, and uh, which I was hoping to do that. I was hoping they were going to open up the Bible. I was hoping they were going to show me some things. But basically what Pastor Big Shot was saying to me is that my IFB forefathers decided for me what my position should be, and I need to be loyal to them. The other pastor was basically saying to me, I will let my IFB forefathers decide what my position is, and I will be loyal to them. Even if I don't know how to explain it from the scriptures. That's basically what he told me. And I'm not cool with that. You know, I like what Psalms 12, 7 says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Talking about his word. God said our word, the word's always going to be here. So I should always be able to look in the scriptures and find out what I'm supposed to believe. And if, and if we have the same book that the previous generation had, then why can't that generation show me why they believe what they believe? Psalm 71, 18 says, Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have shown thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. So we see that, you know, David, he wanted to be able to show this generation. I want to be able to show the people in my church. I want you to be able to open up your Bible and say, this is why we believe what we believe. I don't want to just tell you that this is what Pastor so-and-so says. And he proved himself and therefore, we follow him over the word of God, basically. I don't, I don't want to do that. And so every generation is going to have to fight these doctrinal battles. We can't just depend on what happened in the previous generation because there's a thing called revisionist history, too. And that goes on in church history, by the way. But one battle that's be, that was being fought in Jesus' day, it was being fought in Paul's day, was the doctrine of the resurrection. Now, today, we do. We call it the rapture. But it has always been called the resurrection. And I believe the reason for that, I think there was a, the reason the focus went from the resurrection to the rapture is because the generation after Christ realized that they could actually be alive, you know, for the resurrection and wouldn't have to die. The Apostle Paul talked about that. Obviously, in the Old Testament... And I could show examples of this, we don't have time. They knew there were a lot of things that were going to have to happen before, you know, the official end comes. And they obviously, there's a lot of things they didn't understand, but they always believed in a resurrection. You know, even Job talked about a resurrection. But they all knew it was way off into the future. So to them, it was when I rise from the dead. For us, we realize it could be in our lifetime. So we talk about the rapture because we're hoping we might not have to go to the grave. So there, there's a reason there's that shift in focus. But understand, the resurrection and the rapture are the same event. It's important that we understand that. And so...
tonight or this morning, I'm not going to be talking about whether or not the resurrection or slash rapture is before, during, or after the tribulation. But I want to show what the dispute was back then. because And then we're going to look at a passage that gets messed up. And when we understand the dispute that they had back then, it will help us understand a passage that many people today who are wrong on their eschatology, you know, you'll find out, you know, what they're doing wrong with that scripture. But they, it's so important we understand the context. And really, the only passage I can even find, because I don't believe in breaking fellowship over timing of the rapture. I kind of think that's petty and dumb and pathetic, if you ask me. But it's a pretty common thing, you know, because we're Baptists. We like to fight with everybody. And we don't get along even with ourselves sometimes. But the only, the only passage I can find that shows any evidence of a dispute about that, you know, the, the timing as far as pre, mid, or post-trib, is 2 Thessalonians 2, 1, where he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, is that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, the, all the new Bibles say that the day of the Lord has already happened. That's what all the new Bibles say. And the reason I think people use that interpretation is because a lot of people have figured out that there was a dispute back then about whether or not the resurrection had already taken place. The Apostle Paul dealt with that. We'll look at some of that in a little bit. So people have used that with this passage, but that's just not what it says. It says, let no man deceive you that the day of Christ is at hand, meaning that it's about to happen and then he goes on to say that these things have to happen first. So for him to go and specify those things wouldn't make sense if he was doing it to prove that the rapture had already come. No, he's just saying these things take place first. And that's what he's doing. But at the same time, I'm not going to get real dogmatic and say that, you know, Paul was fighting the pre-tribbers back then because I don't know for sure what the dispute was that was going on in that church that caused him to address this it, it could have been something along those lines but we don't know for sure but either way it's still a great passage for us to use when it comes to our position on these things but i i you know but i i'm not going to get real dogmatic on what he was fighting right then because i just don't know for sure but we do know from other areas and other passages where he deals with these things in more detail and so i've had a lot of people ask me though you know if eschatology is something that we should break fellowship over and a lot of times they'll bring up verses about end times and about the resurrection in the Bible. But the thing is that a lot of people miss when they bring this up and they want to kind of use it to cause division is they don't understand the context of that passage that they're looking at. I'm talking about people who are, I would consider right. You know, I'm talking about post-trib people who brought these things up. But here, they, here's what they don't understand. The debate back in Paul's day that he mainly dealt with except for maybe in 2 Thessalonians 2, it was on whether or not there even was a resurrection. Okay, It was on whether or not Jesus Christ was coming back, not the timing. That is not what he was fighting over. That was not what the battle was back then. Okay, I mean, about whether or not, I mean, you know, is it really that big of a deal if we all believe in the coming of Christ, but our timing varies by about seven years? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? You know, across the spectrum, it's, it's really not, but people make a big deal out of it. And so Acts 23, we're not going to go back and look at that again, 
But we see as, as soon as he mentions the resurrection, there's a fight going on. Because you had people that did not believe in a resurrection. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 22. There's, a, there's some other places where we see this dispute addressed. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 23, it says, The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and they asked him. So the Sadducees are thinking, you know, we've stumped the Pharisees many times with this question. Let's go hit Jesus with this. And so these, this question comes from a people who do not believe in a resurrection. And it says, it says, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. And then it goes on to the story about the seven, uh, seven brothers that had one wife, never had any kids. You all know this story. And they ask that question, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Because they're thinking the Pharisees can't explain this one. You know why? Because there were many things that they did not understand in the Old Testament about the resurrection that Paul revealed later. People teach that Paul revealed the rapture or Paul revealed the resurrection. That is false. And I'm going to show you this. Paul just revealed more details about it. Paul answered questions that they always had. For example, we've got a lot of questions about things, don't we? Like we have a lot of questions about the millennium. There's a lot of things we don't know about the millennium. Does that mean we don't believe in the millennium? No, we just don't know. There's a lot of things about the new heaven and the new earth that we don't know. But it doesn't mean we don't believe in the new heaven and new earth. No, it just means we don't know. Okay? And so one of these days, those things will be revealed to us. When we receive that new information, it doesn't mean that we rejected that teaching today. We just didn't know. And during Jesus' day, there were a lot of things that had not been revealed about the resurrection yet to them. And so there, but there were people that believed in a resurrection, but just because they didn't understand some things doesn't mean they didn't believe in it. And so, but in this case, the Pharisee or the Sadducees did not believe in it. And so the Pharisees who were still ignorant about many things weren't able to answer this question. And so they asked him that. And then notice what Jesus said in verse 29. He said, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And I love how I said that you are not knowing the scriptures because it's like, um, what scriptures makes this clear to me? You know, it's one of those, you do have to go pretty deep. We don't have time, but you know, you could show where Jesus got this from the scriptures, but it's like, I probably would have missed it too. It's real easy for us to kind of look back now that Jesus, you know, revealed some things that Paul revealed some things, but I can see why they missed some of this stuff. But it says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. So notice how Jesus, he kind of reveals something to them about how they don't marry and they're not given in marriage in the resurrection. There's, there's no marriage in the resurrection. But then notice how he gives them that information. Then he goes back and he gives them proof of a resurrection. And it's of the fact that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were living. I think that I think that's pretty interesting because the Sadducees, they also didn't believe in an angel. They didn't believe in a spirit. But yet he says, God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when God was speaking to Moses, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. 
So what did Jesus do with this teaching and this doctrine here is he was telling them, hey, you guys are wrong. There is a resurrection. The resurrection is a real, real thing because that was the dispute back then. Look what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 17. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, And their word will eat his death the canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying, The resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So they were saying it already happened. Now, for you to say that the resurrection already happened is to deny a physical resurrection. Okay? Because this is what many of the amillennialists and the preterists, they teach that it was a spiritual resurrection, not a physical one. Okay? And that's what they teach. And that is a damnable heresy. I'm going to show you that in a little bit. But the reason he's bringing this up is because these guys are teaching that and it's overthrowing the faith of people. Saying the resurrection of the past, which was to deny a resurrection. This was something that they were fighting back then. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the passage I want to spend some time on and focus on because the Apostle Paul, you got to understand, when he, this is a long chapter here, and when he's going through all this chapter, and I wish you had time to go verse by verse through the whole chapter, he's doing this proving a resurrection and he is revealing details about the resurrection that they never understood. He is not revealing to them the rapture. He is not, he is not revealing the resurrection. That's what the dispensationalists all say. He is revealing to them details about the resurrection that they never understood. Things that they all wondered about. That's exactly what he's doing. And so in verse 12, it says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Notice, he's talking to the church here. You got people in the church denying the resurrection of the dead. Why? This was a battle that was being fought back then. This was a dispute that was going on. There's still some religions today that are disputing this very thing. Today, even though the Apostle Paul cleared this up, Baptists pretty much across the board have gotten it down that there is a resurrection of the dead. I've never met a Baptist in my life that didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. You have to believe in the resurrection of the dead. And, and I'm talking about our resurrection of the dead. Okay? And so he's saying, and he, he says, if it's being preached that Christ rose, how could you say that? It does not make sense. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain, Yea, and ye are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So he flat out tells them, hey, Christ is risen from the dead. And not only that, he is the first fruits of them that slept. Jesus was the first to rise from the dead with a glorified body. He's the first. He's the first fruits, meaning that there's more to come. That's what the first fruit offering represented. They would bring that first fruit that they would get and then, I forgot how many days later, when the full harvest came, they would give the rest. And that first fruit offering, it was a pledge showing, hey, 
here's the first part of my offering. The rest is, is to come. And Jesus Christ, he was that first fruit offering. He was that first fruit of them that slept when he rose from the dead. And he is proof that the rest of us are going to rise from the dead one of these days too. It all goes together. Okay, That's another thing people don't understand about the feast. People who want to try to keep the Jewish feast. You, keeping the Jewish feast is not you just picking one. They are a package deal. I don't have time to preach that message. They are all a package deal. These people want to do the Passover. They don't want to do all the rest of them. You have to do all of them for it to work. For it to make any sense, you have to do all of it. And so the thing is, and they understood that in the Old Testament. We don't understand that as Christians today, but they understood that back then. And so to say that we are not going to rise from the dead, but then to claim Christ did, it didn't make sense. It's a package deal. It all goes together. If Christ rose from the dead, we will rise from the dead too, those of us who are saved. So the rest of this chapter, Paul is basically explaining physical details about the resurrection that they never understood. And many the mistake the modern scholars are making is they believe that Paul is revealing to them the rapture in this passage because he said, behold, I show you a mystery. And so that means he's revealing something that was not known before. But here's the thing. It wasn't the rapture he was revealing. And if you if we read the whole chapter, you'll see that. And we're going to look at the verses and prove this. And so Paul is answering the question that those on the resurrection side of the debate were never able to understand because those details had not been revealed. And so the ignorance about the dispute of that day it's causing people today to miss the main point of this passage and come to some faulty conclusions. And so that's why we're digging up these old, you know, skeletons. That's why we're reviving these old debates. If we understand what they were fighting about back then, we will understand the whole point of what he's saying in this passage right here. For example, right now, if I just got up and I said, you know what? God died for the whole world. You know what? He died for everyone. Get over it. And you say... Well, why is that even a problem? Why do you even need to specify that? Because we have a group out there called the Calvinists who claim otherwise. And, when, and so if I, if I make a statement like that, you all get why I'm saying that. You know, you, know, you all get that. You know, you all, I, I remember I had a family member who started dating a Calvinist, and they came to our church that day, and I was leading singing, and I, all the songs I picked were ones Calvinists wouldn't like. We sang, Whosoever Will. Uh, Jesus included me. We sang Jesus. We sang. We did. We did one for the kids. We did Jesus loves little children, and I specified it when I said said Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world. Right? Why do we do things like that? Because there's a dispute out there today about whether or not Jesus died for everyone, and so we bring these things up. And there was a, a fight back then. There was a dispute about whether or not there was ever going to be a resurrection. We can't ignore that. When we're looking at this passage. So look at what it says in verse, uh, let's go to, jump to verse 21 now, or that's where we left off. And it says, for since by man came death, physically speaking, okay, that man was Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Also physical. Okay? Was it physical death that came into the world by man? Yes, it was. And physical resurrection came into the world by man. Jesus Christ. Okay? He, and so it says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He is showing how the resurrection of one makes sense for the resurrection of us all. Because if there's death by one, 
which they understood, then resurrection by one makes sense too. He's putting it all in perspective. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ in his coming. That statement is very profound. And again, if you were familiar with that culture back then, if, they, if you were familiar with the Jewish way of doing things and the feast, this makes a ton of sense too for you. That's just the way it works. You do the first fruits and then after that, afterwards, you got the main offering later. And then it says, then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the father, when he shall have put down all rule, all authority and power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Now we're going to, right here, he starts giving a lot of details about future events that will be after the resurrection. Okay. And then back when he, and let's jump to 35 though, because he kind of gets back on point here specifically about the resurrection. And it says, but some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Because okay? obviously, if you believe it, if, if you believed in a resurrection back then, but not much has been revealed, you're going to have certain questions. You say, well, um, you know, when we put grandpa in the grave, he was in pretty bad shape. Is he going to be in that same condition when he comes up? You know, hey, you know, they, you know, you know, grandma, she's been in the grave for a long time now. She's nothing but a skeleton. Is she going to come up as a skeleton? And, you know, and I imagine, too, you know, the Sadducees, they were probably like Baptists in some ways where they like to do straw man arguments about the other side. Well, you know, them Pharisees over there teaching in a resurrection. You know, have you ever seen a body that's been dead for 100 years? They think it's going to be skeletons walking around. They think it's going to look like the walking dead out there, the resurrection of the dead, you know, all these body parts. Hey, listen, this body, I don't want, I'm not going to want to come back. It's in bad shape right now. You know, they're making all these straw man arguments. Now, why are they doing that? It's ignorance. Because they don't understand how this resurrection is going to work. And can you blame them? I mean, how does a dead body come back to life? Can you, now, it's easy for us. We've got hindsight. We've got the scriptures that reveal these things to us. They didn't have that. So the thing is, they, all, they, they obviously would have scoffed at this kind of thing. They would have mocked this kind of thing because you can't put a dead body into the ground and then something better come out of it. Oh, really? He says, thou fool. Wait a minute. <laughs> this makes sense, doesn't it? No, look at what he says. In verse 36, thou fool. That which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And after that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. That seed that you put in the ground, it's a body, isn't it? It's a seed, it's a thing. And you put it in the ground, and it dies. But then what comes out of the ground? Something better, something greater. Something different, a tree comes out, ends up coming out of the ground. Now, a tree went into the ground, a seed went into the ground, but a tree comes out of the ground. Something far greater, something far more glorious, something better. And we understand that with trees. Well, why can't that happen with our body? Why can't God have our body go into the ground dead? But then if God can make a seed turn into a tree that he wanted it to turn into, why can't he make our body turn into something more glorious? I mean, it only makes sense, doesn't it? It was God that chose what the different seeds would turn into, and it's God that chose what these bodies will turn into at the resurrection. 
And so it says all flesh, verse 39, is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star to earth from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Why is he saying that? Because some people said there wasn't a spiritual. He's just flat out saying it. Hey, yeah, there is a natural body. There's a spiritual body too. You know, the Sadducees, those who've carried over some Sadducees' beliefs into Christianity, you know, they're acting like, yeah, well, we've got the natural. All that there is is what we have here. And you know what? What we have here is something. It does exist. There is a natural body. But you mark it down, there's a spiritual body too. And this body that's going to go into the ground, okay, it's going to come up. This body's going to come up, but it's going to be different. It's going to be a spiritual body. It's going to be better. It's going to be sown in dishonor. It's going to be corruptible. I'm going to, one of these days, Lord Terry's coming, I'm going to lay in a casket, and I'm going to look like I'm dead. And that's with a great deal of work that will be done to me first to try to make me look natural. And I'm still going to look dead. And, you know, and, and, and why do we put the, bear, you know, our loved ones, why do we bury them into the ground? Because we don't want, none of us want our carcasses just laying around our house after we're dead, do we? That would be very dishonorable to just let our bodies go and just lay out somewhere because it's disgusting. Our, our bodies are going to become very disgusting and nobody wants our kids and grandkids, you know, watching bugs crawl out of our mouth when we're dead and so what do we do i'm not trying to be gross but you know it, it you, it's sown dishonor isn't it and so we do we put it in the ground as much as we love that person we got to put them in the ground we got to get rid of them but you know what we believe they're going to raise from the dead one of these days and so it's like we're planting them like a seed aren't we because we have faith they're going to come up one of these days and so it goes on to say and so it is written, verse 45, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. He's doing all these comparisons between Adam which we all come from, all of us come from Adam, and we all are sinful because of Adam. We all will die one of these days because of Adam. We are all earthy. We are all corruptible. We all have that in common. But those of us who are in Christ, we have the heavenly too. We now have something new. And one of these days, we're all going to resurrect. It says, as we have borne the image of the earthy, we've all got the image of the earthy. All of us in here, are, you know, we're, we're, we have Adam's image. Okay? We have... It's obvious that we are man. You can tell the difference between man and any animal. There's no mistaking it. There's no missing links. There's no crossbreeding between animals and humans. Okay? We all come from Adam, and as we born the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, 
that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Now, listen, Paul did not reveal this here because Jesus said this very thing to Nicodemus. He said flesh and blood cannot inherit the, enter the kingdom of God. And that's what, and you know what he told Nicodemus? You must be born again. And it's very clear if you go back and read John 3, he's speaking spiritually there. So this whole chapter, he has been talking about the physical resurrection. He has been going into details about the physical body and what kind of body is going to be raised up. He has been spending all this time on that in a world and in a time when everybody was disputing whether or not there was even going to be a resurrection, whether or not there even was a spiritual body. These are the things that they were fighting about back then. These are the things that they didn't understand. And so Paul's clearing it up. So now he's going to show them the mystery. And then all of a sudden now, the dispensationalists, they lose the previous 50 verses. They lose the context and they, they lose the stories in the Gospels where Jesus is fighting with the, you know, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are fighting. Jesus is trying to straighten them out. They lose all that context. They lose the book of Acts and the people who are fighting against the idea of a resurrection. And they just decide, nope, he is revealing the rapture here. No, he's not. Look at what it says and let's see if he is revealing our catching away or if he's sticking to the subject of the change in the physical body. Because look at what it says. Behold, I show you a mystery. This is one of the reasons people started focusing a little more on the rapture and thinking about a catching away rather than a resurrection. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You know what he's telling these people? Some of you could live till this event. And, and you know, Paul didn't know when the Lord was going to come back. He didn't know when everything was going to start. And I can say the same thing to you. You know, not everybody in here might have a funeral. Some of us might. Some of us probably, but not all of us might. In fact, we might not all sleep. We shall not all sleep. A lot of people put that in the church nurseries. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. You know, they, that <laughs> good verse there. But it says, but in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Why does he say, why didn't he say we will be caught up? Why will, we will be raptured? We will be taken up into the sky? Because that's not so much what he's talking about. He's talking about what's going to happen to those of us who don't die. We are going to be changed immediately, in a twinkling of an eye. Now we're all going to disappear. Okay? I'm sorry. You know, the Thief in the Night movie, the Rapture movies, where everybody's just disappearing. I mean, just boom, like that. I've listened to, I can't tell you how many messages where preachers get up and for like 20 minutes talk about different speeds of things and how fast things are and talk about the difference between a blink and a wink and a twink and all, all this kind of, I've heard all these, all these sermons like that and they say, that's how fast you're going to go. I mean, that's how fast we're just going to be, we're going to go up to heaven. The farthest star is, you know, however many miles away. However many light years away, I'm going to pass up all of that. Faster than that snap right there. All based on this. That's not what it says. It says we shall all be changed. I know your dispensational book was putting all the focus on the rapture, but the Apostle Paul was focusing on the resurrection and the changed body. And we are all going to be changed. In fact, we don't have time to go to in many of the passages about the return of Christ it often refers to the change that will take place when we see him. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Beloved, it doth not yet appear 
what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we should be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That's the, that's the constant thing it goes to. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. One of these days we're going to be like him. And we're looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing. We're looking for that time when our body will be changed and we will not have sin anymore. That's what we're looking for. And it says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, why did he throw that in at the end? Well, maybe because of the fact that working for the Lord could get you killed back then. But you know what? Hey, if you get killed doing work for the Lord, who cares? You're not, you won't be done. If, if, but if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You see this entire chapter, it's just, it's him proving a resurrection. It's him revealing the details. It's him answering questions of people who opposed a resurrection. That's what this is all about. He's not revealing the rapture in this passage. He is teaching a resurrection. He is revealing the changed body that we're going to all have one of these days. That was the fight back then. Thankfully, in the Baptist world, I don't know that this ever being a fight about whether or not Jesus Christ was going to come back. I think I think Baptists across the board believe that. And you know what? If somebody thinks differently than I do about when Jesus is going to come back, hey, I just ask a question. Do you believe he's coming back? Do you believe in a literal, physical, you know, visible return of Christ? That's the important thing because we're all going up at the same time. That's all there is to it. They keep telling us, you know, post-trippers, you know, y'all can stay here if you want, but I'm going up in the first load. It's like, no, we're all going up in the same load. We're all going up in the same load, whether you like it or not. You know, and truth is, we can have our disagreements on exactly how things are going to play out in the last days. But the one area we do, we must agree on is that Jesus is coming back. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. How can you claim to believe in a resurrection of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and you don't even believe in a physical resurrection? I believe in his, but I don't believe in ours. Well, the Apostle Paul said you can't have it that way. It's a package deal. The resurrection, belief in the resurrection, is a package deal. And it starts with Jesus, and it ends with us. And if you don't believe in our part, you don't believe in Jesus' part, whether you like it or not. There is a literal resurrection of the dead coming and that's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul, he's not so much trying to reveal the rapture again. He is comforting people about the resurrection because of those who they had lost, because of those who had died. The focus back then was always the resurrection. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, he says, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Notice that Jesus, or Paul, when talking about people who are dead physically and in the grave, he, did, he didn't comfort them with the fact of a spiritual thing coming. He comforted them with a physical resurrection. A physical resurrection. Because here's the thing, too. We've already been brought back from the dead spiritually when we got saved. That's already happened. So why would we just, why would we need to comfort ourselves in a physical resurrection if all there is a spiritual? He's doing, because there is a physical. There is a physical resurrection. This is a fundamental of the faith, believing in the resurrection. You must believe in that. We call it the rapture, but every time you hear somebody call it the rapture, you should think they're saying that because they're hoping to be here for it. They're hoping to not have to resurrect. That's my hope. I hope I don't have to resurrect. I hope I just get raptured. I hope I just get changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And said so it's not going to be a vanishing. Daniel chapter 12 says... He, uh, in Daniel 12, he talked about the resurrection. He said they're going to shine like the brightness of the firmament. Sounds like a change, doesn't it? In fact, it sounds like the transfiguration of Jesus, who he shone, his countenance shone when he transfigured. And that would make sense since when we see him coming in power and glory, we're going to be like him. Pretty amazing thing. I think that beats vanishing in a second i think the rapture movies would be cooler if instead of having people vanishing and their clothes falling all of a sudden they start just shining like the brightness of the firmament all of a sudden their you know their clothes are gone but they're replaced with white robes bright and shining and then all of a sudden the sun's darkened it's dark everywhere while they're shining you got jesus shining up in the sky the whole world's seeing it all of a sudden, you got these people shining all over the place that see Jesus, who are believed in him, and then the angels come, snatching these people up, shooting them up in the head. That's going to be pretty cool. Hey, where's the special effects people in Hollywood on that? They're missing a great you know, movie opportunity here. You know why? Because they're listening to the goofballs from the 70s who came up with the vanishing thing. And, you know, I mean, you can't blame the Hollywood people. They're just listening to all the, you know, Typical preachers today, just preaching it wrong. Isn't the Bible so much better? I mean, usually Hollywood tends to take things overboard, but when it comes to the rapture, why is it? It's interesting. When it comes to the things of God, the things that are right, they downplay it, don't they? They downplay things. The stories are usually improved by Hollywood, but with the Bible, they bring them down. It is so much better just in the scriptures, and we need to start getting our thinking on these things from the scriptures and not movies because the, the movies are not doing it justice. But anyway, the resurrection is a real thing. It's a fight. That fight was won. And thankfully, Baptists have been on the right side of this fight for as much as long as I know and as much history as I know. They've always believed in a resurrection. Anybody claims to anybody denies the resurrection of us. They deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mark them. Avoid them. That is damnable heresy. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I pray, dear God, that this message was a help and encouragement to everyone. I pray, dear Lord, that we'll, uh, when we look at these stories, we'll take the time to 
to get the context, to find out what all was going on during that time and what they were dealing with, and that way we won't get caught up in some of the weird teachings that go with these passages. Lord, I just pray you'll help everyone to take comfort in this message of knowing that this life isn't all that there is. There is a resurrection coming, and we're looking forward to that. And dear God, I just pray that it's something that we can all live to see, and that uh, your coming will be soon. In your name.